0: This is a Crowd Podcast. There are three images we've got to talk about when we talk about Jimmy Dean. The first one, black and white, because it's a black and white time. He's in New York, Times Square, but there's no glamour here. It's winter, rain coming down, bouncing off the dark pavement, shiny on the black metal railings. Jimmy's in black too, a long woolen jacket, collars high up round his cheeks, suit trousers, tatty old brown shoes. These clothes will be famous. There'll be a look for everyone in years to come, a style that never quite fades. So it's about the clothes, but it's not, not really. It's how he is inside them, hands stuffed in his pockets, shoulders hunched against the cold, hair big and thick and swept back, but messy, like he doesn't care, like he never does anything to it but pushes hands through it. The city behind is hard to see, mist around the buildings, towers lost in the clouds, his silhouette on the pavement, blurred, It's like all the light in the world is on him. He's grinning, glancing up at the clouds, the sky. Cigarette hanging out the corner of his mouth. Okay, the second one. He's on a movie poster, bright colors for widescreen world. A red wind cheater unzipped halfway, a white t-shirt underneath, blue jeans, hair swept back again. He looks like a contradiction, angry but vulnerable, staring out like he's challenging you but lost too. A man, muscles and form but a kid's eyes. These two images, the Times Square one, the movie one, they're posters on teenagers' walls, on student walls, they're t-shirts and mugs and magazine covers, they're everywhere, Still. The third image you won't have seen. It's a nineteen fifty-four Porsche Spider. A car built for pure speed, for breaking limits, for danger. It's a beautiful car, the spider. Polished silver, like a jet fighter, long curved wheel arches. But this spider? This one looks like it's been stamped on. Like someone's picked it up and crushed it in their fist. The bonnet is pushed back on itself. The wheels are twisted sideways. The door's buckled and broken. It's not silver anymore. It's tinfoil. This is the car of James Dean. This is where it all ends for this beautiful boy. For this rebel looking for a cause where it all ends, when it's barely begun. Because he's only 24. He's only made three films, and only one of them has actually come out when he dies. And something strange happens in the aftermath. A kid who not many cared about when he was alive becomes a star, a ghost in his own future, a man who never grows up. 65 years on, his estate still makes $5 million a year from his image. From the figure in the wool overcoat in Times Square. From the teenager in the red wind cheater and blue jeans. From the man with that stare, angry but vulnerable, like he's challenging you. But lost too. There's what you need to know about what makes James Dean. How they use him, how he uses them. He's a farmer's boy as a kid, James Dean. Out in the sticks in Indiana. Harsh winters and hot summers. Mud and dust and pigs and fields. It's all about his mum growing up. She's the one who teaches him to draw, to read who makes him a little theatre out of a cardboard box, who makes up plays and stories. There's a ritual they do on special nights. Call it the wishing game. James writes down something on a piece of paper, what he wants to happen the next day, puts it under his pillow at bedtime. In the morning, his mum tries to make it come true. He's nine years old when it all falls apart, when his mother complains of nightmarish stomach pains when she sees a doctor and is told it's cancer. No one tells Jimmy, not until two days before she dies. It's his dad who does it, who remembers how his son says nothing, just looks at him, who says, Jimmy never liked to talk about his hurts. When they bring the body home from the hospital, it's Jimmy and his grandma on the train with a coffin. Every time they stop at a station, he runs to the baggage car to make sure his mum's still there. When she's in an open casket for the funeral, he does her hair. Just before they bury her, he snips off a lock and hides it away. So, he's raised by relatives now. His dad in LA for work, his mother buried in the village cemetery. He milks cows, collects eggs, skates on the frozen pond in winter. And he always feels an outsider, alone, when the others have company, different to the farmer's kids all around him. When he's 13, he buys a cheap motorbike. He wears glasses, big black rims, and he rides flat out. 50 miles an hour, lying flat on the saddle, cutting a long bend so tight he can reach out and touch the leaves of a tree. Setting a new record for something they call suicide curve. An S bend on the gravel road past the cemetery, past his mother's grave. People talk, people watch. Say to the pastor at the local church, Can't you do anything? The pastor, now, he's different too. He's called Dr. James De Weird, and he's a local hero, served in World War II, won medals for gallantry. There's shrapnel scars on his chest and a big hole in his stomach. He's also... strange. He lives alone with his mother, takes groups of young boys to the gym and suggests they all swim nude. The locals have a nickname for him. Dr. Weird. The pastor invites Jimmy over lays the table with white linen and silver cutlery, talks about the great poets, puts Tchaikovsky on his record player, puts on movies about bullfighting. He takes him to the racetrack in Indianapolis, introduces him to the drivers, men with names like Cannonball Baker. Later, there are long drives in the country, just Jimmy and the pastor. One day, they park up under a tree. The pastor takes his shirt off, says, You want to put your fist in the hole on my stomach? There's something Jimmy says to him one time. I'm evil, aren't I? Why else did my mum go away? Later, after everything, Be Weird says, I taught Jim he was depraved and vile that he had to seek salvation. And he says this, the strange pastor with the shrapnel scars. I taught Jimmy to believe in personal immortality. He had no fear of death because he believed, as I do, that death is merely control of mind over matter. Okay. Now Jimmy's in his late teens, almost a man, but not quite. He's in LA, trying to make it in the movies, struggling. He's not tall, only five foot seven, but he's athletic, strong from the farm work, from playing basketball in the yard. Another older man notices him. He's called Roger's Brackett, an ad man, 35 years old, single connections in radio and movies. Jimmy moves into his flat. In return, Brackett gets him radio roles, takes him to Hollywood parties, to the best restaurants, to private screenings. Now Jimmy's in a John Wayne film as an extra. They drive south over the border into Mexico to watch the bullfights. Brackett gives him a gift, a matador's cape covered in blood. What's going on? Something that's going on all over Hollywood in the mid 1950s, all over the movie business forever. Brackett says later if it was a father son relationship, it was also incestuous. So when Jimmy moves to New York looking for roles, it's a former boyfriend of Brackett who finds him a room. It's the weird, the pastor, who gives him $100 to live on. It's Brackett, who moves to New York too, who organises nights out with producers and directors. Jimmy, he calls these older men his mother hens. When he's alone, he watches movies all the time, sometimes three in one day, to escape the loneliness. He studies Marlon Brando, tries to work out why he's so good listens to jazz, plays the bongos like Brando, carries books of philosophy around, more to quote them than read them properly. And he can't sleep, this troubled kid. He stays out late, goes drinking. He dreams of his mother, he dreams of death. It all comes through in his acting. He mumbles like Brando. He hates being told what to do by directors like Brando. But he's good too, different, not quite a man, but no longer a boy. They're making a film of the John Steinbeck novel, East of Eden. This epic about love and betrayal and broken families, about the brothers, Cal and Aaron. Jimmy turns up for his audition in dirty jeans, dark smudges under his eyes, angry, but vulnerable. The director sends him over to see Steinbeck, asks him what he thinks. Steinbeck says he's a snotty kid. The director says, That's irrelevant. He's Cal, isn't he? And Steinbeck smiles and says, Yeah. We'll get back to that after this short break. works, Jimmy Dean, in East of Eden. He improvises like Brando. He lies on the roof of a train curled up like a baby, like a kid wishing for something else. So he's known now, the farmer's boy from Indiana. His swept-back hair, the way he stares at you, a man with a child's eyes. And when they make a film called Rebel Without A Cause, it's obvious he's going to get a call. Here's the original casting description for Jim Stark, his character. The angry victim and the result. At 17, he is filled with confusion about his role in life. Because of his nowhere father, he does not know how to be a man. Because of his wounding mother, he anticipates destruction in all women. This is just acting, right? But you act from somewhere. You reach into your soul and pull something out. So the character fits for Jimmy, and the big moments work. The opening scene, where we see him in a suit, like he's dressing up as an adult, when he's staggering down the street, drunk and confused. When he lies down in the road, sees a little toy monkey in the gutter and gently covers it with paper, like tucking a baby in at night. A police siren wailing in the distance, getting closer, There's others who are great in the film. Natalie Wood as his girlfriend. Sal Mineo as their doomed friend. But it's Dean you can't forget. Dean in the red wind cheater. Dean in the knife fight. Dean screaming at his parents who are lost and bewildered. You're tearing me apart. As good as Marlon Brando, as ready to be a star. A reflection of the world around him of a generation drifting away from the one before. There's one more movie, the third of his three. It's called Giant, an oil boom epic. Him, Liz Taylor, and Rock Hudson. And it should make him happy. All this work, all this fame to come. No more older men, no more mother hens. Money and cars and girls if he wants them. But he still can't sleep. And he still can't forget, can't stop the dreams where his mother appears and stays just out of reach. He says to one friend, it's like she's trying to tell me something, but I don't know what it is. So how does Jimmy try to forget? With speed, by blurring the edges by cutting so close to death they can reach out and touch it. He has another motorbike in New York, an Indian 500. Rides it flat out through those ram jam city streets. One week before he goes out to LA to film Rebel, he crashes. Cuts himself up, scares the hell out of his friends. One mate says, Jimmy, why are you so suicidal? And he looks back at him and says, death is always there, and I want to conquer it. There's girls now, sometimes, although they never last. There's boys too. You ask him about it, he smiles and shrugs. I'm certainly not going to go through life with one hand tied behind my back. But it's speed that he loves, that holds him tight. With the money he makes from East of Eden, he buys a Triumph Tiger motorbike, bigger, faster. He buys an MG sports car, trades it in for a new Porsche Speedster. He races city streets, country tracks, goes to the Palm Springs road races and wins the novice class. Races again the next day and comes second overall. There's a Lotus Mark IV he's got his eyes on as he's filming Giant, Before it arrives, he sees something else at a big garage in L.A. The Porsche Spider, Polished silver like a jet fighter. Long curved wheel arches. Headlights like cigar tubes. A short windshield, no roof. Red leather bucket seats. Matching red tail stripes. There's a nickname Jimmy's been given at Warner Brothers. Little bastard. So it's those two words he's painted in flowing letters along the back of the car. The number 130 in black on the bonnet, doors and rear. And that's what he shows off when he's showing his car off round town. Then he bumps into the British actor Alec Guinness outside a restaurant, thinking everyone will love it, thinking no one else has got a car like this. But Guinness doesn't think that. He's tired, hungry, and something about the car and his friend just seems wrong. Please never get in it. That's what he says. If you get in that car, you'll be found dead in it by this time next week. And James Dean. There's something else that people will remember afterwards. A public safety film that Dean makes dressed as his character in Giant. A warning about speed, what it can do. The highways are not a racetrack. At one point, he looks down the camera and says, the life you might save might be mine. (laughs) It's late September 1955. Jimmy's in his new L.A. house. A white, bearskin rug on the floor, dirty dishes, bongos, records, bullfight posters on the wall. He's still a night owl, bags under his eyes, girls and boys waiting up late for him. But it's speed that's calling him again, speed that he loves. He's back at the garage in Hollywood. There's a German mechanic there called Rolf Wuterich, getting the spider ready for a weekend of racing. The mechanic has an idea, says this car needs more miles. Jimmy, you need more seat time, let's drive. A friend's there to see them off, puts his arm around Jimmy's shoulder, says, be careful, that car's a bomb." So they head off, grab coffee and donuts and drive north. Driving fast, always fast. At half three in the afternoon, they're stopped by a highway police patrol, given a ticket for speeding. They say sorry and keep going. They stop for drinks near Bakersfield, meet a couple of other drivers heading north to race, boast about how they've been hitting 130 miles an hour. The other driver nods, says, be careful of the cars turning in front of you. The spider's hard to see, the color of it, how low it is. Jimmy shrugs, pulls on his red wind cheater, races away without putting his seatbelt on. It's late afternoon now, the sun setting low. They're on Route 466, Jimmy driving, Rolf in the passenger seat. They're racing over Polonio Pass, accelerating down the long descent. They can't see it, but there's another car ahead, a black and yellow Ford. Its driver is a 23-year-old student. He turns left, directly into the path of the spider. Too late to see it. Too late for anyone to swerve, to brake. Here's what a witness sees. The spider smashing head on into the Ford. cartwheeling two or three times, landing in a gully beyond the hard shoulder. Wooterich, the mechanic, has been thrown clear. He's lying crumpled on the road, broken jaw, broken hip, broken femur. The other driver, the student, bruises and bloody nose. Jimmy's still in the car, trapped in the mangled cockpit. His neck is broken, both arms shattered, his body crushed. No breath, no sign of life. They take them to hospital together, Jimmy and his mechanic. It's 28 miles away, but they know, everyone who's seen it knows, just before half-six, James Dean is pronounced dead. People talk about a curse afterwards, the car, the films, the mechanic lives but dies in another car crash years later. Sal Mineo from Rebel Without a Cause is stabbed to death aged 37. Natalie Wood dies in a boating accident at 43. And everyone thinks about Jimmy, how his coffin is kept closed at the funeral to hide the awful damage to his face and chest. How in his house they find his life in random items, bongos, paints and pastels, a checkers set, a silver St. Christopher medal, a scrapbook of quotes and poems an envelope containing a lock of black hair. There's three pages torn from Mark Twain's book The Mysterious Stranger, a sentence underlined Life itself is only a vision, a dream. And there's something Elvis says a year later about how Jimmy Dean lives on when he's gone. Elvis says, I've made a study of Marlon Brando and I've made a study of poor Jimmy Dean. I've made a study of myself, and I know why girls go for us. We're sullen, we're brooding, we're something of a menace. I don't know anything about Hollywood, but I know you can't be sexy if you smile. You can't be a rebel if you grin. This episode was written by Tom Fordyce and performed by me, Elroy Spoonface Powell, Spoon the voice guy. It was edited by Phil Brown. For research, we read Little Boy Lost by Jay Hyams and Joe Hyams, James Dean by Val Holly, and The Mutant King by David Dalton. We watched East of Eden, Rebel Without a Cause and Giant. If this is your first episode, go back and listen to the chilling tale of Sharon Tate. And if you want another podcast to listen to, search for Death of a Sports Star and try the ones on racing car legends, Dale Earnhardt and Ayrton Senna. Thank you for listening. Crowd Network. A place where you belong. For this upcoming award season race we hope that you will join us on all the various podcasting networks we look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com
1: hey, hey there
0: i'm hannah and i'm audrey